welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. In this episode, David and Nick get down with Deadpool, get groovy with Power Man and Iron Fist, experience a rebirth, and Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Mm, indeed. Mm, yes, I'm David. And I am Nick. And you are the listening audience. Who uh, We will all come together then to form Voltron and use our powers to protect the galaxy. Speaking of which, Netflix has confirmed a Voltron uh, series to what debut the shit? on Netflix. So... That's pretty cool. I think I've told you, uh, and I think I, I always think of Voltron when I think of this, that I would really like to do a series based on like an old property like that, where in the world they built it because of the old show. So it's like uh, you have like some scientist figured out how to make like five lion robots, and then like for how them fit them together to like become Voltron because of Voltron. <laughs> I don't sure. know. If, I don't know if there's anything there, but it's just an idea. I mean, it. Could, it, it... It really depends on how, obviously, how like you execute it. Because obviously, there are instances in our own world where we've developed technologies that was inspired by science fiction. Very true. So I mean, it's a science fiction made give us, science. Give us an give us an example right now. Microwaves, maybe. What? Ray, uh, lasers. I don't know. So you just like you're throwing, you're pulling this out of your ass entirely, is what you're saying? No, I read an article one time about something. Oh, you read an article, la di da, Mister College Education over there knows you know. how to read. You know, just went to college, no big deal. Yeah, it really so is no big really, deal. Really I've, is no big deal. I've seen your college; it's no My big deal. My diploma is it's on the floor right over there. Mine's not even in in uh, Charlottesville; it's in Phoenix. Where it will stay. For all time. Yeah. When am I going to hang that up? I know. I mean, not to say that I'm not proud of a lot of things I learned at college, but, I mean, I could have not... How do I say this without uh, belittling the contributions and the passion of all the great professors that I had? Ooh, interesting. They're all listening right now. Oh, right, right, right. I mean, and again... I'm by no means belittling their contributions, and I did learn a but lot in are. college. But sort of like it made me a better person, like an individual, but it didn't necessarily Boo. equip me with like marketable good skills. Besides, this guy's really good with people. Uh, I mean, confirmed. <laughs> is it really? I mean, I'd like to think I'm good with people. Right now, I really am just talking out of my ass. So. Yeah, no, I know, I know, it's all good. It's, it's so I have a. I have a friend who was listening to this podcast and he was thinking while listening to the episode, uh, like, I, how, how do I get them to mention me? And then I guess I, on that episode, I did mention him, uh, but I got where he lives wrong. Uh, I, I think I, I said he lived in Philadelphia when he lives in Pittsburgh. That could also be wrong. I'm not sure because, Will, you might as well live in freaking outer space. I don't give a shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
I, you're great, but, I, but it's, he was like, you mentioned me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. I don't remember how. So I do I, remember I that. I, I do remember. Do, do you? Well, I remember that we have conversations that are sometimes recorded, yes. Wow, helpful. We've been doing it for almost 100 episodes. So Shit, yeah. what episode is this? Uh, 77. I feel like I should have known that. Yeah, way to go, Nick. Man, I put just so much energy into the rest of my life. This is like that kind of thing that I, it's like an afterthought, you know? Yeah, yeah, for, for most people it's an afterthought. <laughs> uh, it's music, it's, it's a sound they play while they're in the shower and they quickly tune it out because of the water coming out of the faucet. Exactly. It's like that thing that like they accidentally left on while they went to go do something important and came back to like, oh, this is playing? Yeah. yeah. No. It's like, it's the kind of sound that they would play while you're on hold. But you put it on speakerphone, but then you leave the room. So you can kind of hear it from the next room, but you're certainly not paying attention to it. Exactly. Uh, we're actually recording this episode a day later than usual because there was some big news about uh, about Rebirth that came out today, which we will discuss later on. For right now... To the Batmobile. Let's go. Let's talk about comics. Well, actually, first, let's talk about a movie based on some comics. And that is the smash hit Deadpool. Pride and Prejudice. And Zombies, which I don't think anybody saw. I uh, want, like, I do want to see it, but I, I feel like I'm not rushing out to the movie theaters to see it. Well, I, I haven't finished the book it's based on, but the book that it's based on is a comedy, and the trailers made it seem like dark and gritty zombie story. It's got a 43% on... Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty low. Uh, whereas Deadpool has an 84%. So, Nick, here's the question on everybody's minds. Uh, how many small children were in the movie theater while you were watching Deadpool? Um, to be honest, I got we got in like right at like when the previews were starting or whatever, so I didn't really pay attention. I could say that as I was walking out, I probably saw at least a couple of kids, but there yeah. could have been more. Yeah. Uh yeah, there was like there was a, there was a couple there. Uh, we went to the the new movie theater here. Is the only place showing it. So it's you buy your tickets in advance. It's it's assigned seating. Uh, so they're like they're these really nice leather seats. Um, the guy next to us was a little bit crazy. Uh, I'll talk about a little bit more about him in a second. But it was like really great because my anxiety is still there. Like I need to get there early to get like a really good seat. But it's like no, I I bought the best seats in the house. Uh, I had enough time to show up, get a beer, stroll into the theater. We got there like 10, 15 minutes before it started. I could have gotten there five minutes before it started. Uh, this theater chain only does like three previews before the movie, and then it just starts. Uh, so it was pretty great. The guy next to me was a little bizarre because he apparently does these things where he does his thoughts of the day where he records himself. Uh, saying these thoughts, one of which, well, the first of which was, I hope Ryan Reynolds doesn't F up another superhero movie. There's a lot wrong with that statement, but we're not going to go there. Uh, the two other thoughts were, before the movie started playing, the theater was playing, like, here's some pictures of the history of Charlottesville. So it's like, here's, you know, the downtown area. Here's, like, a graduating class. Like, all of these are, like, pre-1950. So it's, like, some cool pictures. Uh, but he was like, I'm being reminded how white and confederate Charlottesville is. And uh, <laughs> the other one was, 
like history of Charlottesville, not a black face in sight. <laughs> and I was like, man, is this movie starting now? Um, but 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 tell us, Davis, David. It, I just called you Davis. Um, so not my name. So not, uh, David. Tell me, are there in fact black people in Charlottesville? Yes, I know several of them. Do you uh, know the only several that are there? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because, no. I mean, I know, like, with the South, there's obviously a higher concentration of white people. But I thought that there, in well, some no, areas there are depends, quite a high population of black people. Oh, yeah, there. no, there definitely are. Like, depends on where you live. Atlanta. They're there. Know. Like, you, you can totally find them, like, hiding in the trees. Like, wow. I'm just Okay, rock. this is getting weird, Nick. This is what? getting weird and kind of racist. Guy, that, uh, David, that, I just called you Guy. Guy. <laughs> guy. I'm not your, not your guy, pal. <laughs> I'm not your pal, friend. I'm not your friend, buddy. Not your buddy. Joke's over. Um, oh man, I had one more. I was ready to go. I was um, the the guy that you were sitting next to that was recording his. Um, oh oh. Thoughts. And then uh, and then throughout the entire movie, he had his phone out. He kept the brightness down, which I appreciate, I guess. But he had his phone out the entire movie, like he was either texting somebody his thoughts or like writing down his thoughts on the movie as it happened. And then like when it was over. And there wasn't like a, a mid credit scene. He kind of like turned to us. It's like, are they not going to do like uh, the thing with the credits? I was like, you've been on your phone this entire time. Like you have a computer in your palm. Like what makes you think that I would know? First of all, I do. But second, why would you just like, like come on, man. Come you should on. have said no because then he probably would have just gotten up and left. Oh, uh, that's true. But then he would have like hunted me down. And probably killed me. He seemed like that type. Okay, we are not talking about the movie at all. Wait, so... what movie are we talking about? Just kidding. We're talking about Deadpool. That's right. Nick, what did you think of Deadpool? I enjoyed it. I'll be honest. Like, I didn't laugh out loud a lot. It was much more of a, like, appreciative humor. Like, oh, I got that reference. Or, oh, that was funny. You know, but not sort of like a, like, knee jerk, like, knee slapping, like, guffaw, like, just non-stop like gaggling i was just like i enjoyed the movie a lot it was quick it wasn't about the end of the world um it like hit all the right beats it really was kind of like it showed up did its thing and left right and and i thought that was kind of like on one hand i do like being immersed in like a two hour two hour plus long superhero epic but it, it takes a really skilled editor to kind of like pace it the right way mm-hmm. where you don't feel like overwhelmed or bored by a certain point right this movie was obviously less than two hours long, and it, it did everything that it needed to do. Maybe it could have lingered on some scenes a bit more. Or, well, I think or, I think it could have rounded out the ending a little bit better. The I, ending kind of like it just kind of like, like and done. the end, which like like you said, like they you know they'd set out, they told the story they were going to tell. Like there wasn't, there's not really any fat on this movie, uh, and, and that's totally fine. It totally works, but it was just kind of like oh, it's over. Oh, okay. Yeah, which, and, I, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Obviously, they could have done more about like, oh, what are you know, like what's what are they getting? You know, now that like Deadpool and um, spoilers, uh, Vanessa are like back together and like macking it and shit. Like, you know, what do they do next? Like, are they just gonna go home and make babies and like do Deadpool stuff? And I mean, like, obviously that's something they could leave for the sequel, like how their relationship progresses mm-hmm. in the next one. Yeah, speaking of uh, preggers, Marina Bakarin is, like, super pregnant right now. Yeah. Like, doesn't even look like herself. It's kind of weird. 
I haven't seen any photos, but um, word for it. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 a really funny movie. I think I probably laughed a bit more than you did, apparently. Uh, I, I really thought that describing Ryan Reynolds as God's beautiful idiot was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> no, it, that, the openings, like, I did laugh. Like, I was laughing. But I wasn't, like, like watching a Monty Python kind of rolling laughter, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and like most comedies, the, like, the humor is still there at the end. It's not as strong at the end. Uh, it it kind of, like, peters out. And, but they do a good job of keeping it up, keeping up the energy, I really enjoyed Colossus a lot. I thought Colossus was this kind of like unexpected because you see him in the previews, but he looks like this really like imposing, like probably not going to talk a lot. And then he has all these lines of dialogue. He's like he, super philosophical. Yeah, and he's playing like I, the, he plays the straight man really well to Deadpool's. See, uh, he, Deadpool. he was a, he was the straight man, but and a lot of ways I think like Negasonic was more the straight person than the than Colossus. Colossus was, you know. It was great. They did like a Russian accent, you know, on one hand, like it was in the spirit of Colossus, but he was obviously kind of amped up a bit for laughs. Uh-huh. Um, sort of like the, oh, the soliloquies and the uh, philosophy uh, was like, okay, I feel like Colossus probably wouldn't waste time in the middle of a hot zone to go over these details. But for the purpose of the movie, it was still mm-hmm. fun. And at least he freaking looked like Colossus. I know he's huge. It was, yeah. I didn't. I didn't expect him to be CGI. The I mean, I, know that, I mean, I know in the opening credits it says a CGI character. <laughs> uh, I just didn't expect him to actually be CGI. The you never, character. yeah, you never see him as he's just like walking around the mansion as a metal man. I um, oh man, and I loved loved that joke about it's weird how I don't see anybody else but you two around here. It's almost like the studio couldn't afford another X Men. And <laughs> I don't want to like harp too much on like the the great lines because probably you know you've seen the movie by now. Uh, audience, you've probably heard other podcasts talk about it. Like you know all the lines by now. Uh, there, here's a couple of neat Easter eggs people may have missed. One was Hydra Bob, uh, which uh, did you catch Hydra Bob there, Nick? I did. Where he said, "Hey, Bob." Yeah, yeah. It's you know a guy named Bob. In second, the concept artist confirmed today that the fight did take place. The last fight did take place on a helicarrier. That the the, the last big action sequence. Um, which I have some questions about that that I will get to in just a moment. Uh, let's see. TJ Miller was great. Uh, Blind Al was great. It's it's a funny, funny movie. It's a good time. Uh, what else was I going to say about this before I get on to my other points? Oh, eh, I think this, this last point is more on a high note. So I'll say, you know, just a couple of thoughts. The enemy was really weak. Uh, because when he comes out at first, they're like, oh, he's like, he was somebody who went through this not weapon X program himself. And, you know, now he's just kind of like in charge of this chapter of it. And there's someone else pulling the strings. But for most of the movie, they make it seem like Francis is in charge of everything. Yeah. Like that was really confusing to me. Uh, I just thought they, like they could have done a little bit better with a villain in, in a lot of superhero shows and movies uh, really have, have struggled with like memorable villains. Uh, I thought, I, I, I thought Gina Carano, I think that's how you pronounce her name. No, no, no. She was fine. She was funny and sort of a foil to Colossus sort of way, but really like underutilized. Uh, Nick, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the villains as I collect myself? In this? Yeah. I mean, like, 
the actors did a good job with what they had, but you're right that um, they didn't really develop the sort of the program that did, that Wade Wilson got himself involved with. Like, is it sort of a splinter of Weapon X? Uh, is it, you know, or is it really just sort of like, a, yeah, we just kind of do our own thing? Um, you know, Ajax, which that was a funny line where it was like, you got your code <laughs> name, name from, from a, a dish soap. Dish soap. Um, yeah, you know, it, it really was like he was a fairly plain villain. You know, the actor did a great job. He brought a certain charisma to the role. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. the fight scenes were cool, but as far oh, as like the, he was really just the bad guy. Yeah, the, the fight scenes were like cool, but not super memorable. Uh, there's no like I like I'm not thinking back to any of those because there's really like big two big action pieces, and there's some other action parts like there's the the highway scene that we know to death. And then there's like the scene on the helicarrier at the end, and those were those all worked really well in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know, like I don't think there's anything super special about them. They were just a little bit generic, uh, which I guess really, if I think about all of the superhero fight scenes, which ones like really stand out? You know, like Man of Steel, those ones really stand out. But it's not like really a lot of the fight scenes from the Iron Man movies are are super memorable. Yeah, uh, Captain America. I would say Winter Soldier probably That's some good stuff. Had, yeah, that, that first fight scene between uh, between Cap and Bartok, I think. Bartok, is, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, whatever his name is, was really cool. I was a little disappointed with the movie that all of the lines we heard in the trailer uh, were lines that were used then in the movie, like oh, that I like when when it slows down in the highway scene and his car's flipping and he looks at the camera he's like oh did i leave the stove on or like uh negasonic teenage warhead which i love the part when he was like what's it going to be sullen silence or mean comment got me in a box here oh uh, but when it was like ah, I, I pity the guy that pressures her into prom sex uh in the whole like i wear the red suit so they can't see me bleed <laughs> he knows what's up he wore his brown pants like those are those were all scenes where you know they could have filmed other lines and like put those in. It's just like disappointing that that what like, they showed you in the trailer it's, it's was exactly. also what was in the movie. For like, for, I'm talking about for the jokes for his like lines. Okay. Because those could have been so easy to to like write up something new or like redub. It's well, I'm assuming like they put it in the trailer because that's what was going to be in the movie. Sometimes they do the between the trailers. By the time you get to the movie, there have been some changes. But, I mean, I don't think they're going to change all of their jokes just because you already heard them in the trailer. But I'm not saying, like, they need to change all of them, but they could have changed a couple of them. All of them were the exact same. Well, if you had only watched the Green Band trailers, then you wouldn't have heard any of these jokes. No, that's not true. Some of them. Uh, Like when he's touching himself joke, like they changed that for the Green Band tonight. I'm touching myself tonight. Uh, Oh, let's, let's talk briefly about the weird implication that Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds are also people in this world. Well, I mean, I guess there's no real implication. They're, it's not, they're not going to have a scene where Wade Wilson meets Ryan Reynolds. Um, but no, there, I there, think it's, it's just more of a... It is an implication because Ryan Reynolds, or, or uh, Deadpool, has a picture of Hugh Jackman stapled to his face in the last scene. I think there's... Because obviously Hugh Jackman is not actually wolverine i know this is shocking to some people the idea that they could both potentially exist in the same i mean there's people in the world that look very similar to us it's totally fine i just thought it was a really funny 
implicated. I love when he took his mask off. And apparently that whole time yeah, he was the fighting. The whole had, final scene. He was he wearing that. Had had that on his face. It was good. Um, um, Vanessa did a good job. Moran Bakarin, I thought, did a good job. Yeah, I like her. There's, you know, she was spunk. She kept up with, with um, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan, yeah. She Reynolds. Was, that was surprising. I thought she was just going to like kind of be love interest. Uh, but she, yeah, she, like you said, she held her own as far as like the comedy moments. And that was kind of like one thing at the end where his whole joke about like, oh, the crack house. And she's like, you have a house. And then, oh, everything's forgiven. It's like, like you were just super pissed at him for being gone for like two years. Like, it's over that easy. Whatever. It's a love story. It's a movie. Uh, I think that this is a film that could not exist without the last 12 Marvel movies that have come out and like the X-Men films when they were trying to make this 10 years ago, like you couldn't have made this 10 years ago and just put it out and have it be as successful. It's, 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 um, it's an irreverent to the movies that have come before it. Yeah, you know, it very much the, takes, it it's takes place at this point in time of the superhero echelon of movies. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like the spoof that we kind of need where it's kind of like that breath of fresh air. It's like we've seen everything, you know, it feels like you can't give us anything new and now they're going to come out and just lampoon all of, like the opening credits were like the perfect, I, you know, thing like some douchebags film and like the not naming any of your actors in the opening credits, but calling him like CGI character, God's beautiful idiot, a hot chick. Uh, just, those were just oh, a gratuitous cameo. Those were just all like so great. And his like his sly references to Wolverine, Pulverine. Uh, yeah, it's it, it it was a really fun time. I'm I'm really glad that this movie came out. But I don't think that if you if you had made it even five years ago, it would be as it, successful. It came out when it needed to come out. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was and it saved Ryan Reynolds' career for sure. Like not that um, I, I think it would have been entirely dead, but if this movie had bombed would not look good for the Ryan Reynolds for, for the Ryan Reynolds, mm-hmm. the sequel to, to, to Reynolds origins, <laughs> Ryan yes. Reynolds origins is the Ryan, the Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Um, so what do you think as far as like cable being in the sequel uh, and this potentially leading up to an X-Force film? They, Oh, I was just, I should have kept the article. Uh, I th- can't remember who it was. I think it was the director was talking about putting cable into the film and he was saying something along the lines of, you know, you can't take Deadpool and then go put him in, like, the dark and gritty, like, superhero films. Like, if we're going to do Cable, we have to bring Cable into Deadpool's world. Yeah. Which I, I totally agree with. Uh, I think that's that's the best way to do it. I'm I'm excited for it. I haven't read a lot of Cable and Deadpool, but I want to now. Well, if you go on Marvel Unlimited, there's a great uh, Cable yeah, and Deadpool yeah, yeah. series from Fabian Nietzsche. Uh, the, like semi-creator of the co-creator of Deadpool um but he did he did this back in like the early 2000s it's like 2003 something like that yeah and that that I read I've read the first few issues I read some in like the later half of the series and you know he has a good knack for the character Mm -hmm. so who would you cast for Cable I haven't given it a lot of thought I know that Stephen Lane guy from Avatar is pulling for it and on a certain level like he definitely pulls the old man look yeah, the cable has. I think maybe a little too old. Well, I mean, Cable's old. He's, I mean, how old is Stephen Lang? 
But I mean, I just I don't. Michael Caine should be. Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine. Uh, Stephen Lang is sixty three. Sixty three. So I mean, I feel like you know, Cable might be an either like an overstressed fifty something, or he'd at least be in his sixties. So I mean, he's a you know he's a time traveler. Yeah, but I mean, like when he traveled back to the past, he was an old guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. An actor who's in their late fifties or early sixties, and that's kind of a cool role. The fact that like you you could play this older, you know, like badass, you know, fight freedom fighter guy, and you're like, you know, you're in the age where like you're basically just cast as someone's dad half the time, mm-hmm. if not grandfather. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that I mean, Stephen Lang uh, visually could definitely pull off uh, Cable. I know uh, some people have done um, mock-ups with John Hamm. Well, that's that's Rob Liefeld's pick. Is John Hamm? Yeah, Rob Liefeld has said on Twitter, uh, yes, John Hamm, dream future cable pick. Hmm. I I mean I can see it in the photo, and John Hamm's a great actor. Um, and and one I mean he could certainly surprise me, but based on like what I've seen with John Hamm in it, I haven't like gotten the cable feel. Have you seen the Kira Knightley mock-up though? Yes, it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, then that was a great little throwaway line at the end. It was funny because the people in my theater, you know, they were definitely there for the film. They were definitely totally into it, but it it felt like they did not have the history with the character. Those who's like stuck around that, uh, I, I felt as much as I did. Cause when there was like, you know, the Rob Liefeld cup in the beginning, I was like the only one in the theater who kind of chuckled at that. When he mentioned Cable's going to be in the sequel, I like got like giddily excited and like you know started like pawing at Debbie's arm. Like, There's going to be Cable. There's going to be Cable. And I didn't like get the reaction that other people in the theater were like excited because they thought it was going to be a tease, and it was a tease. But I thought it was going to be like, oh, here's Deadpool doing something wacky to set up the next film, and it's like, oh, here's Deadpool in a rope lampooning Ferris Bueller's Day Off, setting up the next film. Mm-hmm. And I love that they made a joke about Ferris Bueller's Day Off because I love that movie. Never seen it. What? I know it's one of those movies that's always eluded me. Oh, I'm hurt by this, Nick. I've been doing a lot of talking in this segment about Deadpool, so why don't you tell us about Power Man and Iron Fist? Sure. Um, it might be in that backpack behind me, but I don't need it. So. Here's what's interesting for Power Man and Iron Fist for me. First up, I enjoy the characters. Love, 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 love uh, the immortal, uh, immortal Iron Fist run. Uh, I never, um, never would have guessed. You know, um, you know, Luke Cage. I have like an ongoing joke with a, a friend's brother about like Luke Cage versus Taskmaster, and uh, I just think that like pa- Luke Cage, Power Man, he's just one of those kind of like fun characters when you play him the right way. Um, and I and I've actually read a lot of the original like Power Man Iron Fist Heroes for Hire comics. So definitely fond of them. Definitely was definitely wanted to check out their their series. Didn't at first I like I was excited and then I was like and then the creative team, I like Sanford Green, the artist. Mm-hmm. Um he's got definitely a unique cartoony style. Yeah. Um yeah. but I think for what they're gonna and, and now that I've read it, what they're trying to achieve, I think it works perfect for the book. Uh, David Walker was the writer of Cyborg. It's the only other thing I've read by him, and I was just was not impressed with Cyborg. It was just wasn't was not my cup of tea. I thought the writing was very bland. The story really had no purpose. Um, just sort of like to set up like one specific thing he wanted to do with Cyborg, which was 
make it so that he like had a penis again. <laughs> That's kind of the end result, I guess. Um, with this one, it's the and definitely the heart, the the artwork helps, but the dialogue is better. David Walker still kind of does this thing where I feel like he kind of constantly repeats certain lines of dialogue. Like he'll reframe it to a certain extent, but like he keeps re- repeating it. And and he did a lot in Cyborg, and I didn't really enjoy it. I don't want this to be a comparison between Power Man, Iron Fist, and Cyborg, but that's sort of like my own frame of reference for this writer. Um, the story in this one, I was also a lot more engaged in. Basically, the characters felt a bit more real. There was definitely like. Iron Fist had his personality. Luke Cage had his personality. And the other characters around them were unique. And I think that's a that's a, a big reason why this book worked for me. Uh, I like the bits where uh, Luke Cage had to keep coming up with alternate swear words because Jessica Jones told him that he swears too much around the child. So he's saying things like, what the fiddle faddle and all this other stuff. That was fun. Um, the main thrust of the story, though, was basically... Power Man and Iron Fist are hanging out, um, but they're not back together. They're just hanging. Two buds, you know, best bros, chilling. Um, when they go to pick up an old friend who um, was actually in the original Heroes for Hire series. She was like their secretary or something or something like that. I guess in that run, like she got possessed and like killed her boyfriend or killed someone. Makes sense. And, and she went to prison for it. So and she's obviously that kind of character that no one thought thought about for like three decades. <laughs> like, wait, um, crap, crap! Is she still in jail? Oh, crap! So, so this book actually, which, and that's kind of a cool nod to that previous history, was that like she is just getting out of jail. She's been there for years. Uh, Danny and and Luke go to pick her up, uh, and she asks them to if they could help her with this one thing. And they're like, "Listen, your family will definitely help you. And basically it was to get this grandmother's necklace back. And then and then she turns to them and says, You boys aren't nerds, are you? <laughs> Something along like along those lines. Um, so they go and do that. Hilarity and chaos ensues. And then there's a twist at the end that totally makes sense given like the context of the, the story. And I mean, definitely makes me interested in where the book is going to go from here. Mm-hmm. So... If David Walker and Sarah from Green can keep up the the the, the characters, the story, and the the great artwork, so I know I've read a lot of comments from some people that are just like the artwork is just not the thing. They don't like the super cartoony, or they make I find insulting comments like it's drawn by like a five year old. I'm like, it's not. There's clear, you know, there's clear style to it. There's yeah, there's, there's technique. A style to it, and I don't expect everyone to like it. No, you know, which is cool, but sometimes like. Obviously, sometimes I try to look past like the obvious aesthetic qualities of an artist and be like, are they telling an effective story? You look at someone like Ben Templesmith, who you're kind of like, like scratches everywhere. Like it's just all cross hatching or something, you know, uh, and you're like, like, quote, unquote, is this art? But then you think, but then you read like Fell or some other Ben Templesmith books and you're like, there's a clear storytelling technique being used here. And as long as you can follow the story clearly and, and in a compelling way, I, I would say the artist has done their job, you know, but so in this case, in my mind, my humble opinion, Sanford green, Sanford green does that. So definitely a great response to this first issue. I definitely plan on checking out the second one and as sort of like a non recommendation recommendation, you know, check it out. Very cool. Yeah, this is a this is a pair of characters that I've I've been more aware of in the last couple of years. So it's I don't think it's coincidental that they suddenly have a book, 
you know popping up in the mainstream but it's very cool i will uh i'll probably check it out when it comes out on marvel unlimited maybe i'll go back and check out some of their older stuff <laughs> uh who are we kidding <laughs> All right, Nick, I read a lot of stuff this week, but I'm going to leave it up to you. Between these two books, what do you want to hear about? Huck number four or Robin, son of Batman, number nine? <laughs> Batman, son of Robin. I, um, I tried really hard not to call it that. <laughs> uh, actually, tell me more about Huck. I have not checked that at all. I know the main premise of the book, but I know that like that was kind of the initial first issue hook. So how has the story developed since then? Eh. Okay, I had to go get my copy because it was sitting 10 feet away from me, uh, even though I was writing a review of this earlier today, so I should have it all memorized by now. So, Huck, for those who are not keeping up, what Huck is all about is there is a simple man, uh, that, that, that's kind of like the word they keep using to describe him, but he lives in this small town, he's a gas station attendant, he has superpowers, and for years, the town has kept him secret. You know, he's like, he's agile. He's got super strength. He also has this ability to lost or find lost things. Hmm. So if you give him like a name or a photograph, he can, he has like the sense. He can just hunt stuff down. And uh, somebody in the first issue finds out who's not, who's new to the town, finds out about him. And then they expose him to the world. And so for the last couple issues, it's been, you know, people are, trying to make a big deal out of him, but he doesn't want to be a big deal. So he starts heading home and on his way home, this guy shows up and is like, Hey, I'm your brother. Do you want to meet your mom? Uh, and just a warning for people. I'm well, Nick, do you mind if I spoil something about this issue? Go ahead. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, I'll, I'll warn about the spoiler. So, you know, you can jump ahead 10 seconds, 30 seconds when we get there. Uh, but in this issue, his brother shows up, tells the story that, their mother was a uh, was you know someone with superpowers and was being tested on by the Soviets and they wanted to clone her wasn't really working out so they're like well let's just impregnate her because that'll give the same results you know she'll have spawn with superpowers uh, not spawn from Image Comics because that would be totally awesome if <laughs> if this book turned out to be like a spawn spinoff about <laughs> spawn's origin story. Uh, anyway, her children will have superpowers. So she gets pregnant, then realizes, oh, I'm, you know, it's one thing for me to be in a cage, but these kids can't grow up in a cage. So she escapes. And when she escaped, she had her twins and then separated them. And now, uh, now that Huck is known, his brother could find him. So now they're going to go find their mom. And so he gives them, he gives him their mom's name. They get in a truck start driving along the way they keep stopping to help little emergencies i mean not some are not little there's like a burning building uh but like one is some ducklings trying to cross the road or some circus animals get loose one like a train car wrecks uh, -huh. uh and then they get there and so here's the spoiler people if you don't want to hear it skip ahead 10 seconds or 30 seconds they get to where the mom is and they knock on the door and huck's like mom, you know hey your boys are here and she's like, I only had one son. It turns out that he uh, was using Huck to find her. He was working for the Soviets the entire time. It's crazy. Is that the end of the issue? That's the end of the issue, yeah. 
How many issues is this? I think six. It has it to be six. six. Okay. Because it said to be continued, not to be concluded. Yeah. So I have to hope that it's six. I, if if it's five, it's going to be super rushed, and I mm-hmm. probably won't super enjoy it. Anyway, I've actually really liked this book, and I feel like I shouldn't because it's Mark Millar, and I spend so much time bashing on Mark Millar. Really, what what Mark Millar is like is it's like junk food. It you know it has its place it can satisfy a craving but really it's not going to be fulfilling i'm not going to be satisfied after and it's not what i'm going to seek out most of the time Uh, but this book is way different than that and they they keep things very simple Uh, there's not like an excess of dialogue it's not super high concept it is what it is it's a true blue hero and i really love the take on it uh and Raphael Albuquerque, that guy is a freaking chameleon. Because I was, I was doing some, just looking at some of his old artwork today. This guy knows how to change his style to suit the mood of a book really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just really impressive how he can change his stuff so subtly. But it works just so well. And, it, and it's still unmistakably him. Uh, this book, you know, has, has, still has sort of his sketchy quality to it. Uh, but it's still very clean and crisp. The action's really nice. Uh, the char- like His characters are so expressive. That's one of the things I really realized I like about uh, Raphael Albuquerque's work is that his, like, there's just so much expression in the body language and the faces. Uh, and he's also working with uh, Dave, Dave McCagg uh, on colors, who also did the colors for uh, American Vampire. And the coloring in this book is also super impressive. Uh, it fits the tone right exactly. Like when they're in Siberia during the mom's origin story, it's all these blues, like things just kind of like feel cold through the color template. Uh, then like in the modern day, you know, he uses a lot of, of, of different ones, but he uses certain ones to like set the mood. Like it's just much warmer. There's a lot of uh, like blues and grays and oranges and then when it gets to the end, when the big twist happens, there's just these very little subtle things happening in the backgrounds of the panel with the colors mm-hmm. uh, that is just masterfully done. So that when we get to you know the dramatic cliffhanger, it's it has a totally different feel to it that it doesn't feel super uh, like super dramatic and just out of nowhere. And one thing. Uh, I really also liked about this book is that the the cliffhanger works really well i think because millar was not spending time winking at the audience he wasn't like oh like this character might not be who they say they are it's just it's all played very straight and there's really great moments of huck uh, of characterization of huck that we haven't gotten outside of he's just a really nice guy we get some of that in this and that makes like the betrayal just so much harder to take uh, Huck was, uh, it, it's been a really, really good book. And I, I think it's one that definitely people should be picking up if they are not. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's just some quick thoughts on, on Huck. And definitely a where book. We're at. Uh, definitely a book, you know, especially as you've been describing it, that, um, you know, Mark Millar is, he can kind of be the butt of jokes sometimes, but I mean, he obviously makes properties that sell, that pique people's interests. And obviously, you know, it can be hit or miss. It depends on the title. There's some like, I really like Superior. Um, I didn't care for Nemesis. 
or, or wanted. Uh, um, boo. You know, I'm more like I haven't been reading any of the Jupiter's uh, Circle books, but it's all right. But uh, I mean, like obviously, it's hard to ignore Jupiter's legacy with art by Frank Quietly. Um, and then sometimes the movies that come from his properties, like I love Kingsman. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's one thing I don't love about him is you can tell he does a lot of properties now simply for a movie prospect. Yeah, but keep going. But yeah, and even though that is the case, as long as the comics good, I guess it doesn't really matter. And nine times out of ten, well, I guess ten times out of ten, the the comic always comes before the movie anyway. So true, true. But that doesn't change the fact that Chrononauts could have been great, but wasn't. Chrononauts definitely could have been better. So that's definitely one of those misses. Besides the great uh, Sean Murphy art. Um, yeah, no, that uh, Huck is definitely a book that I plan on checking out when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. You you totally should. Uh, looking at time here, yeah, we're we're doing pretty good. We got. Uh... You got you got any thoughts, Nick? You got anything boiling on that brain of yours before we move on? Now, uh, comics are cool. Stay in school. We can't. We now we have to be careful because we, if we say the word, he'll appear. What word? I can't say it. You know what you haven't done in a long time? What's that? Giving me a quiz. You want me to, to pull a quiz out of my butt right now and give it to no, you? No, I'm saying keep good? it in mind for like next week. I know. I actually meant to give you a quiz this week. Uh, but time got away from me. As it does for all of us. Yeah, you know, we're just in the busy season and work right now. It sucks. But, you know, we're just going to sit here awkwardly because neither of us are going to say the word that will summon him. The news? Spider-Man and his amazing Uh, friends. Jackass. Now he just came in here and webbed all over the place. (laughs) News all over. Leaving news everywhere. I'm covered in news. I'm covered in that sticky white news. And it doesn't dissolve for an hour, which means we have to talk about news for an hour. Oh, God. If it takes that long. Uh, Deadpool has earned $135 million in its opening weekend, which is the highest for an R-rated movie, and I think the highest for a superhero debut film like not counting like avengers mm-hmm. uh it was higher than man of steel i think wow uh let's, let's look at where it is right now i mean that's obviously it's, there's so many factors that went into this movie's success on one hand it helps that it was good mm-hmm. um but there, it is such an alchemy because I mean, I mean, there were like early ahead of time screenings and, you know, but I feel like the people that paid attention to that stuff were like the the, the hardcore fans. Well, like, oh, that's cool. But I mean, that means that still a significant number of sort of casual fans and, and non-comic fans went to check the movie out. Yeah. And, and Ryan Reynolds posted a picture of him and the marketing team today, mm-hmm. uh, which is much bigger than you think it is. Because you think like, oh, they probably had like five guys you know, figuring this out. There was 20 of them at least, yeah. if not more. Uh, and because yeah, I, I, I felt like a lot of people were thinking like, Oh man, it was just, they just gave Ryan Reynolds the suit and he just did whatever he wanted. And that's why it was so great. It's like, no, there was a whole team that made this work and they'll probably be back for the next one. And probably with more budget because the marketing really did work on this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at 172 million uh, domestically foreign 153 million so total neck and neck 
Yeah, total it's about 325 plus some change uh, worldwide. That is pretty impressive. Considering Hopefully that... it keeps that momentum going for at least a month or and a half or two. I don't really know the, the shelf life of cinema movies that this, these days. Well, production budget, $58 million. It'll probably be number one this weekend. I think it uh, was. They already said it, it was on track. It's on to track be. to be, yeah. Let's see what else is coming out. So this weekend, there's nothing. I mean, there's The Witch is the biggest thing, but uh, Eddie the Eagle might not overtake it. Gods of Egypt might just because everybody will have already seen Oh, that comes out this uh, weekend? No, it comes out in two weeks. Oh. And then week after that, I think uh, it's going to be Zootopia or London Has Fallen. We'll see. Man, 10 Cloverfield Lane comes out real soon. I did not expect that. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what effect this Deadpool success has on superhero movies. Because everybody now is worried that studios are going to look at this and say uh obviously we just need to make everything rated r now which i don't think is going to be the case no they're definitely Um, not and and not every character lends themselves to rated r no no and in the movies that are r like the the thing like james gunn was coming out and saying the reason deadpool is a success and what we should learn is let the creative let the people with a vision have a vision and work with them Mm-hmm. Uh, or give them the freedom to do stuff. Because this movie obviously had a lot of freedom. It may have honestly been, oh, hey, Ryan Reynolds has been wanting to make this movie for years. You know how we can shut him up? Give him a little bit of money and let him go make the movie. When it fails, we'll move on. You know. Yeah, but I mean, when you think about million, it, not that big. Deadpool didn't, it didn't have a huge budget, but I mean, $58 million in the, to me is a shit ton of money. I mean, in this so day I, and age, it's not that much as far as movie budgets go. No, it's not, which, you know, is a crazy world that we live in, you know. But, I mean, to a studio, like, that's still $58 million they're fronting up to make a movie that may or may not succeed. And I would argue that Deadpool, it... it had a lot of constraints obviously you know, there was a lot of resistance so if anything it's not just like and you can't trust every single vision just because someone might have a really clear vision of how something's going to be right doesn't mean that it's going to be a, a sell at gangbusters but it needs to be you know it, like i said it's an alchemy it really there's so many uh, aspects and ingredients that go into it but definitely um studios shouldn't try to repeat the formula ad nauseum like now that deadpool's like created this new funzy engine they should just go and make every movie in the same exact vein they should certainly be cognizant of potentially new engines of storytelling of execution and then and and be uh, and foster them but i mean i think part of deadpool's charm is just how much effort it took to the persistence it took to get this out the door mm-hmm. you know i mean sometimes you get movies with troubled productions that just release shit like Fantastic Four, yeah. you know, and that was something where someone supposedly had a vision, and either you know the fans weren't believing in it, the studio wasn't believing in it, and you can't say you know I'm not going to put it all in the director's fault in that case. It sounds like there was interference, but you know that it could have been that even if he got the to put out the movie that he wanted to, it may not have been successful. Mm-hmm. So hard to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it definitely it could send the wrong message hopefully it won't uh 
I think people uh, people like to say that studios are just like you know dumb and don't know what they're doing, except for Marvel and the ones that I like who are giving me stuff that I really like, uh, which I think is is really stupid. Like sometimes, yeah, they are they are really dumb. Uh, sometimes they're they know exactly what they're doing, which probably is this is an example of it, or like Marvel movies or most Disney movies. Um, people are already freaking out because at, at whatever the toy fair was this last weekend, there was a, you know, there was a, they were talking about the new Wolverine movie coming out and they said predicted rating R. So everybody's like, Oh, this is it. This is the example. This is the end. Every superhero movie now is going to be rated R. I don't know who this guy is that I'm doing here. Uh, but it's it's really stupid to have that mentality because Wolverine, they've been wanting to do a rated R Wolverine for years. They wanted the Wolverine, the last movie, to be an R-rated film. And the studio said, uh, have him say the F word two less times and maybe not cut that guy's throat out and then stick his wiener in there. And then, uh, you know, then we can give it PG-13. Like, I've seen the R-rated cut of the Wolverine and it wasn't that much different. There was an R-rated cut. It does like the the um, unrated cut. He says the F word a couple more times. It's a little bloodier, but not too much. I don't know. I I don't think that if if Wolverine was going to be rated R, it would be necessarily a hard R. Yeah. It would be like he says some curse words and does a little extra stabity stab. But Wolverine, yeah, there's not really not a lot of swearing involved associated with the character. It's just a lot more, like, they could be a lot more visceral with the action scenes yeah. and the body count. So, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to, my math might be wrong here, but I'm looking at, like, uh, movies from 1990. I'm looking at their budgets. And I mean, I'm trying to is, compare is, stuff here. Sorry. While you're doing that, so, I mean, as, as much as Deadpool worked as an R-rated film, and I certainly think it, it aided it in some ways, a lot of people argue like it needed to be rated R. I don't think it needed to be rated R. I don't think it needed R. to be rated R either. They could have done a 13 movie. I mean, we got a lot more adult content. It kind of feels like, oh, as funny as, as immature as it was, it was a superhero movie for adults. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it could have been done at, at, at like a sort of skittish PG-13, like skirting the line to R. Um and they could have restructured it a little bit. And it still could have been a really, really good movie. And they potentially could have made even more money simply because of that rating. It's great that they're making a lot of money with it being rated R. But I don't think... I think they're saying for unique circumstances, we can make this movie an R. And if the alchemy is right, then like it's still going to make good money. But for other things, for you know, like Wolverine, I think it would be cool to make an R-rated Wolverine movie. Especially if they did like an Old Man Logan take. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, I think you can't really do old man Logan without the Hulks or the red skull. I mean, they could find X-Men characters to fill that same void. I don't think, I don't think it would be the same. The juggernaut kids. (laughs) Weird. Also a lesson that I hope that studios don't take away is, oh, people want body humor jokes and sex jokes and, and all that in their films now. So like, let's just start doing that. We're. But really, I don't think everybody's seen the success of films like Guardians of the Galaxy, which was goofy and wacky, uh, but wasn't, you know, super inappropriate. Or uh, uh, any other superhero movie that's been coming out and making lots of money. Deadpool's made good money, but it hasn't made 
like the most money of any superhero film. Yeah. So, yeah, I was trying to I don't I don't know how good this uh this uh inflation calculator here, but 10 million dollars in 2015 is about 5 million 5.5 in 1990. All right. Mm. So, the most expensive movies in 1990 cost about 50 million to make. And that's in 1990 money. So what I'm trying to point out here is that Deadpool does have a relatively small budget, all things told. Uh, Nick, what else is going I, on? I right. would say, though, one thing they could take away, not that you have to have like extensive sex scenes in like the Avengers films, but I did like that as far as, you know, despite him being like insane and a wacky guy, they actually had a fairly sex positive relationship in the film. They, they all like the old, like the sex scene that you see is consensual. They do the some like, wacky the stuff. Like fifteen minute sex scene that you see. It wasn't really. It wasn't that long of a sex scene. I know, but it goes on but, for like a few minutes. Different. You scenes. know, I mean, they they obviously linger on it, but I mean the fact that like I mean the last time I think we saw anything remotely hinting at sex or involving sex was like Iron Man one. Basically him rolling around the sheets with maybe a bit of Iron Man 2, but I can't really remember. Basically the scene with Tony Stark and that reporter yeah. and like the beginning of Iron Man. Um, I think like as far as like all these like Marvel movies have gone, like that's the last time we've had any hint of like sexuality from the characters. It's true. They're um, all they're all pretty asexual. I mean there's vague references that you might be interested in somebody, but Yeah. Like the the, the, the Black Widow and Bruce Banner kind of flirting session, but other than that, I mean, like the and I'm not, again, I'm not like advocating for like full on sex scenes. No, or, we like, need we need characters. hardcore, full penetration sex scenes in our superhero movies. Avengers orgy. Yeah, <laughs> and not like not just the porn parody people. I need to see this on screen. Like IMAX 3D. <laughs> oh God. Um, no. You know, but obviously, sort of like not shying away from the fact that these are humans. Humans are sexual beings, and like you know. Not, I mean, the, the only person that's like really had a relationship has been Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. Everyone else, like, I guess uh, Thor Steve Rogers Jane. is supposed to have, and Thor, you know, I mean, like, well, again, that was all just like flirting. Like, I, don't, I think there's something about it, was certainly maybe their chemistry. I did feel like Reynolds and Bakaran had chemistry, uh, and they did in as short a time as they had set up their relationship in a way that I thought was compelling and relatable in a sense but like like i wanted to invest more time in that relationship that's why it's like at the end of the movie i was bummed that i get, didn't get to see kind of like the at the aftermath of like them kind of returning to a quote-unquote normal life I mean, could they no not like a like a normal life like a quote-unquote normal life like kind of back to business kind of like seeing how their relationship develops because of everything that's happened did she keep hooking that's what i want to know I think she was, like, kind of just went to bartending at a strip joint. Well, no, I mean, like, while they were dating. Oh. That was um, another thing that was kind of ambiguous. Um, another thing I think, as far as, like, where, where a sequel might lead is I kind of wish that they had done a setup where, like, because she got put in that containment thing that Deadpool was, that it, it, it jump-started his powers. And I was kind of hoping, because the character Vanessa's based on is a mutant in the comics, that, that, was going, that she was going to end up with powers. Because I don't... Like, I would like Miranda Bakarin to be in the sequel. And I, it'll be interesting if they continue them on sort of like a monogamous route, like they're just staying steady, or if uh -huh. they don't break up or something like that. I'd like for her to continue in the series, but I obviously want her to be an integral part and not just like damsel in distress. 
Because yeah. she was more or less damsel in distress in this movie. I wonder why they didn't go, like, Weapon X 2.0 Wolverine healing power in this movie. What do you if, mean, for Deadpool? Yeah, I wonder if maybe they, like, told him to kind of keep some distance on that. Well, no, I mean, Deadpool historically doesn't have a strong healing factor. But he but he gets it from Wolverine. Oh, oh, why they didn't attach it to him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in this, they basically said they, they jump-started his mutant gene, so he's a mutant. Whereas in the comics, he's a human, like a mutate. Like, right. he was, it was grafted onto him. So I get that point. I think they just thought this would be simpler than explaining yeah. that. Yeah. But... Yeah. Anyway, Nick, what else is going on? Uh, there's a Daredevil versus Punisher comic. Uh, it's actually an Infinite comic from Marvel uh, coming in May. Infinite uh, comic? What does that mean? So Infinite comic is their sort of um, uh, mobile, <laughs> uh, computer-friendly comics where it still really reads like a comic, but as you swipe, instead of like going from a page to a page, it really is kind of like an, um, um, an upgrade from like panel-to-panel viewing. Where like you might stay on the same panel of like Nova flying at you, but like the the oh. the, the text uh, captions and all that might change. And then if like a when then like the next action beats happens, they'll switch it up and they can do some creative things with sort of making the action flow in a way that's still very much a comic book, but lends itself to this particular format. That's Infinite Comics and Daredevil cool. versus Punisher is going to be one of them, written by Charles Soule with art by Zimon Kudransky. Um, who will be sort of doing the finished art up on top of uh, Riley Brown, as who's the storyboard artist. Riley Brown uh, actually was from that original Cable and Deadpool series and was doing the art for that Cable and Deadpool uh, split-second chance uh, infinite comic that Marvel's been doing that I raved about. Oh, yeah. So um, it's a book about Daredevil and versus Punisher, and they versus each other, and stuff happens, and there's probably going to be at least one explosion. And um, that's what's going to happen. Synergy. Oh, did you watch the uh, the new trailer for Daredevil? I did, Daredevil? like on my phone. I don't even remember if I had audio playing when I watched it. And it looks oh. cool. Yeah, no, the audio kind of is the whole key part. Because, I mean, they're really playing up how big Punisher is going to be. And uh, John Barenthal has this line at the end uh, where, you know, because there's lines of dialogue where he's talking to, to Daredevil and it's like, we're on the same mission. It's like, no, you're taking things to an extreme. And uh, Punisher has this line right at the end where he says to Daredevil, presumably you are one bad day away from being me. And it's just, I really love like that parallel because this, this Daredevil that we've seen in the, in the show has been so like rough and tumble and like really riding that line Mm -hmm. and, for someone like Punisher, you could see like how in they again say in the trailer, like how he's taking half measures, he's beating people up, but he's leaving them the opportunity to come back. It's going to be really, really interesting. I'm curious to see how they're going to resolve Punisher being in this universe mm-hmm. because like the heroes. Yeah. Like the, you know, the Avengers have killed people, but not really in this sense. Like, how is he going to be allowed to operate? It, it, it doesn't. It seems like a guy like this would bring whole new laws to the world of vigilantism. Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely would make it more complicated. Um, you know, the Punisher. You know, he's not usually seen as a superhero type. Like, he obviously right, he's, gets he's all an- anti-hero. 
you know, he's an, but not by being like he's an anti-hero, but he's like in a meta sense, but like in, in a universe sense, he's not. He's really like as street as you can get as far as his approach. It's true. Um, so he's not really seen as sort of like a extra normal human combatant. Um, obviously, his methodology um, is very extreme and can certainly complicate things for people. But like he's like his intent is like I'm going to go out every night and kill some mofo's. Avengers are like there's there's um what's where i'm looking for collateral damage mm-hmm. um you know and like you know they so far like they basically have like busted up aliens robots and like in the beginning of avengers 2 you know like they were taking out uh hydra soldiers and i, I can only imagine that some of them were either killed or seriously maimed but um you know it's it's for them like it's always a war zone which we could talk all day about the ideological, philosophical distinctions between killing in war and killing, you know, on the streets, I and guess. That's what this podcast is all about. But uh, Nuremberg case, trials. <laughs> but uh, in this case with Punisher, like, you know, in his mind, he is fighting a war, so it's okay. But to, from the outside, it's like you're just kind of running around killing people, whether or not right. they deserve it. Now, the one thing I can hope for is that introducing him into the uh, MCU means that we are going to get a Frankencastle movie. <laughs> they have the power to do it. Because Frankencastle was the weirdest idea that anybody at Marvel has ever had, and it's amazing, and I want it. Thank you, Rick Remender. People who don't know, uh, Frankencastle was the very weird time where uh, Frank Castle died, and then became revived as a horrific undead monster man and then continued his weird mission of vengeance anyway. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just Googling pictures of it right now. Oh, special times. It was only 2009 when this happened. Yeah, which also still seems like a long time ago. It does. Seem Closing like on 10 ago. years. Three, well, uh... seven years. Yeah, don't try to make me feel old, Nick. Come on. Oh my gosh, we'll be 31 when it's a 10-year anniversary of Frankencastle. Speaking of feeling old, the Solo Pink Ranger series is coming from Boom. I know the, the Rebirth storyline is supposed to be next, but that's kind of a big deal, and we'll give some room to that at the end of the show. Uh, so the solicits from Boom Studios came out, and among them were a new series uh, featuring the solo adventures of the Pink Power Ranger. Uh, the writers are Brandon Fletcher and Kelly Thompson, with art by uh, Danielle DeNicolo. Yeah, why did I put out on that? Uh, Danielle Nicolo. I'm going with that. Uh, so you have Batgirl and Gotham Academy writer Brandon Fletcher, and A Force and Jim and the Hologram writer. Kelly Thompson teaming up on this book, which is a, a pretty good duo. Uh, I think it's interesting to break out the Power Rangers into their own solo series. I don't know how well that's going to work out. Nick, your thoughts? Uh, it's cool that they're actually expanding the line. Um, that then you know they've got a female-led series, and the Pink Rangers cool. Everyone loves Kimberly. Um, it's true. I loved her. <laughs> I loved her so much. Um, I mean, all the power to him. Hopefully it's good. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's stupid for me to like start pulling any judgments on this right now. Uh, my, my initial reaction is like, oh, cool, I guess. But do the Power Rangers have enough power to carry solo series? I mean, the success for them has to have them looking at okay, what what else can we do with this property? Considering Power Rangers Zero. Uh, sold so well and Power Rangers number one is going to be like their highest selling book uh, of all time it, it'll it'll be interesting I, it's, I think it's good they're going with uh, you know Kimberly uh, going with you know not going with the straight white males of the group uh, because but you know do we really need another superhero book with straight white males in it no no I'm saying here we should kill all the straight white men we just just get rid of them just, all. They're just they're not round them up. Just they've had their fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, now they're just a drain on society. That one summer, you know, but but now one, no. <laughs> just that one year, like the one the three months where everybody had a good time. <laughs> I was trying to think of that how about your mother line where um uh uh what was his name Barney uh, uh I think uh, Marshall and Ted like they like they say bra and 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 uh. Barney's just like, hey, hey, we don't say bra anymore. We had a good time like that, you know, like whatever. I'm butchering it. But anyway, don't say bra. Uh, I also love that line or that moment in uh, How Much Your Mother when they have the bar and it's getting overrun and Ted looks at Barney and like is saying to him psychically, uh, you know, this is like, this is overwhelming. We can't do all of this. And then he looks at Barney, and Barney, Barney's like mental projection is Bermuda, Bahamas, come. It's like you are right. <laughs> uh, and I've been saying this all this all time because I know we're talking about comics, but I want to read to you this small excerpt from a uh, an, an Ask Reddit question: Which fictional character can you not stand? Somebody's answer was Lily Aldrin, and their example was. For example, she leaves Marshall to pursue her dreams of becoming an artist, only to find out that she's not good. She lives in one of the cultural centers of the world. I'm sure there was a comparable program in New York City. She then gets back and has nothing but the couple friends that still want to talk to her. Ted even helps get her a job, but then she goes and threatens Ted job, Ted's job by stealing from his boss because the boss was a big meanie. Uh, then she didn't apologize to Ted after just dropping him as a friend for months while she was in San Francisco. That's what everyone calls it. But, oh, and at the beginning of, uh, of that whole journey, she makes Ted take a $100 cab ride out to fix her flat tire and then leaves him there, plus lying to Marshall about the credit card debt. Then, in the episode where Marshall states that they are tight on money, she gets offended when, she, when he wants to sell her clothes, which is the reason money is tight because she bought them on multiple credit cards. Then she continues to complain that Marshall's a corporate job, even though they have a huge debt with apartment, law school, Lily's debt, and recently while putting... Uh, with her putting her career before him and their son. Basically just saying that Lily, they're all super selfish, but Lily's the worst. And I was like, dang, he's right. That <laughs> is, I never thought of it that way before, yeah, but you, that you is super true. You can't really argue. Welcome to uh, Heck Yeah, uh, We Hate Lily Aldrin podcast. <laughs> and it's like, it's weird because, I mean, I watch the show and there's plenty of scenes where I, I enjoy watching Lily Aldrin, you know, watching Alison Hannigan, but, like, enjoy the character moments. But when you put all of that in one big paragraph, you're like, damn, she 
She's she's meany. I'm she's sure. I'm sure. Meanie. I'm sure you could do a lot of that too. Like if you start compiling the stuff about Ted Mosby, it would be like, man, Ted Mosby is the worst. I feel like any of these like friends like sitcom. I mean, friends like they're all jackasses. You know, I mean, hey, it's definitely the same thing. Yeah, but Chandler, they highlight Chandler's neuroses, so he gets a pass. Yeah, <laughs> love Chandler. Chandler's you know they the have Chan, uh, uh, Friends uh, Funko Pop Final figures yes. now? Yeah, they have them for, like, everything. They're going to milk that prop, those properties for what they're worth. That reminds me, I need to set up for the sign up for the Justice Collector Core crap, whatever it's called. What's that? Uh, the, the DC Collector Box. They're going to milk that shit, and I'm going to sign up for it. Well, okay. I only want it because I want that Funko Batman in the armor. Oh, that would be cool. I kind of, like, I'm not an action figure guy, but they, like, release photos of, like, the armored Batman for BVS. Um, like, I don't know how expensive it's going to be, but it looks freaking badass. Wait, what is it? Sorry, I blanked for a second. The armored Batman, like, the actual full figurine. Oh, I know. It's so awesome. I'm like, I'm just going to... Google it so I can stare at it <laughs> while we're both talking. Well, it's probably about time for us to talk about Rebirth. Oh, what uh, what, what is that, David? Can you tell me more about well, it? Well, Rebirth is not a reboot, people. It's not a reboot. So here here is basically what Rebirth is. Uh, it, it was obviously it was teased a month or so ago by Dan DiDio, Jeff Johns, and Jim Lee, and people freaking out over it probably dc getting some of the best press they can they ever have gotten by just releasing uh you know a couple of pictures uh what it is is basically it is a renumbering so everything is going back to number one except for action comics and detective comics which will go back to their original numbering meaning that starting uh early in june you will have Action Comics number 957 and Detective Comics number 934. Um, and what this is going to be is that everything starting back at number one, you will have 32 books. You will have 17 that are shipping twice monthly, 15 that are going monthly. Everything will be $2.99. And in the first month, the books are the re released. They will also have special titles. Uh, basically character name and rebirth so aquaman rebirth batman rebirth batgirl and birds of prey rebirth hal jordan and green lantern corps rebirth which i imagine will just kind of be a hey here's who these characters are here's what the story is now they're going to do uh so i guess just running down do we want to run down all of them no we don't we don't need to okay. there's uh, basically what we can see is that DC is contracting a bit. Uh, they're definitely, they're, they're definitely not aiming for 52 single individual titles. Yeah. We'll probably get closer to that with the books, the, the handful of books that are going to be shipping twice monthly. Yeah. Plus you have First, the Hanna-Barbera stuff. The, the, you know, if we're talking just main DC. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. What's great about this is the fact that all the books will be two ninety nine. That is special. That is that is great. No matter if they're shipping, I mean, definitely great because they're shipping twice monthly. Yeah. Do I think that something like this is going to force Marvel's hand? It definitely makes DC look really good. Well, but, but the argument will always be, 
you know, how good is the content? It's great that, that this is a new branding initiative. I've read uh, Jeff John's interview and all that with CBR, and I've always admired Jeff John's passion. Like, I don't think that there are, like, the people involved, like, are never passionate, but the end result, the content has to be there. I want to get back into Greenland. I just haven't been feeling like this, basically since Jeff John's, even, like, towards the end of Jeff John's run, like, I wasn't feeling it as much. Mm-hmm. I want to get back into it. Is this going to be a good opportunity to get back into it? It's obviously it's different for who you are, but I would like this to be the next golden age of Green Lantern. Yeah, you know, Green Arrow. Exactly. You know, same thing with Green Arrow. Like I love the show. I don't just need the comic to be exactly like the show, but I would love to be picking up Green Arrow on a monthly basis. Yeah. Now we don't know who's going to be on what book. That has not yet been announced. Um, the June solicits will be coming out before long, so probably before then we'll get a bunch of announcements of this person's going to be on this like we know that they signed an exclusive deal with tom king which does mean for those who have really been enjoying the vision book uh sorry vision is ending after 12 issues though that's a pretty good run well i think he signed on to tell us just a specific 12 issue story so whether the book lives on after him the story well, yeah, that he yeah, intended yeah. to tell will be told yeah and he's well he said with no compromises so i, I kind of feel like maybe he pitched it to him, and he's like, I've got a really great idea for 12 issues. And they were like, okay, cool, we can give you 12. And that's, well, that's basically what Marvel does, too, at this point. I mean, they right. go for, like, 12, 18 issues or something, and then they and relaunch. They relaunch it, yeah. Uh, some interesting things. I think that going back to legacy numbering for Action Comics and Detective Comics is a little bizarre. But whatever. I'm sure they'll have a justification for that that we'll find out. Legacy. It's it's not. I like it. I mean, I don't. Yeah, there's something not, about it that I like. It's, it's the the. I mean, they're the two longest running titles. I mean, if they're gonna do it on any books, they might as well those, do it on yeah. that. For everything else, it's like I I could care less what the number on the book says. You know, it's mm-hmm. cool that we're gonna we're gonna live to see Action Comics and Detective Comics number one thousand. One thousand. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Johns off of Justice, Justice League. League is interesting. Oh, so uh, the thing. One thing that I wanted to mention, I want to know what Super Sons is. Yeah. And Trinity. I imagine that'll just be a Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman Wonder book. Woman book. It basically, it's the merging of Batman, Superman, and Superman, Wonder Woman into one book. Yeah, that, that works for me. Uh, the thing that I... And the, the one reading all this that I'm bummed about uh, is that Grayson is going back to being Nightwing. I know that's already kind of happening in Titans Hunt. Uh, it it just feels like a step back for the character. It does, but it's. I, I kind of was reading some people's comments, and I have to like this. Obviously, is his most marketable position. Yeah. So he could assume the identity, but obviously they need to do something different. He can't just go back and be like Blood Heaven's protector and be kind of Batman light. You know. So one yeah. of the things I like is like he clearly seems to excel in this sort of global espionage world. Why not be a global? So basically, he's the global Batman. He's gonna go to. He's not confined to any one city. He'll pitch in in Gotham when he's needed. But he's gonna. You know, they're gonna continue to sort of the aesthetic, the thread that he's been dealing with in Grayson, but with the Nightwing identity. So, so you kind of reversed how things were just before New Fifty Two, uh, where you have Bruce Wayne came back and he told uh, Dick Grayson, like, no, you stay in. Uh, like you stay here in Gotham, I'm gonna go be the you know I'm gonna go do Batman Inc. I'm gonna be the the globe treading Batman. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that working, 
considering Batman Inc. kind of still exists. There's still other Bat people around if they get mentioned from time to time. Yeah. Uh, it, I think you could have him keep doing the espionage thing with codename Nightwing now and then have him bust out the suit when he needs to bust out the suit. Yeah. Were there any titles that surprised you or anything super intriguing? Um, so they're doing Earth 2 Rebirth, and I'm wondering how yeah. much of that's going to carry over from the existing Earth 2 um, stories that they've been doing, uh, or if they're like completely resetting it, which part of me kind of hopes they do. Uh, and I thought that that was going to lead into a Justice Society book, which when I'm looking at it, they do Earth... Oh, no, sorry, there is an Earth 2 book, so never mind. Um, Blue Beetle coming back. Oh, yeah, um, that's super cool. That's cool. I'm assuming they're going with Jaime Reyes, um, and I, but I saw one rumor, quote-unquote, that it could be Ted Cord and Jaime Reyes because Ted Cord is alive in the New 52, uh-huh. uh, but Jaime Reyes has also been established. In a, weird, in a way that like Jaime Reyes is, has been established as the Blue Beetle, and at least that like one scene of Ted Cord and Forever Evil, um, I think it was in Forever Evil, um, like he's a younger guy, like clearly hasn't been through the superhero training yet. So unless they kind of redevelop him and kind of like reintroduce him as already existing as Blue Beetle, which if they do, I don't care. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll be an interesting book to watch. Batman Beyond is being rebirthed. Yep. Now, is that going to continue from the Tim Drake Batman Beyond or are they just well, going to completely reset it? I kind of hope they reset it. I know you're not the biggest fan. Obviously, it's doing well enough that they're not dropping it. So that remains to be seen. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the Batman Beyond brand, I think, is strong enough that whether they go back to Terry McGinnis or keep it... And I don't necessarily care that it's um, Tim Drake. Are you sure? Because you seem like you care. I don't care that much. Like, I I like the story about it, but I'd be more curious about the Terry McGinnis stuff. Let's talk about some of the stuff going on with, uh, with the Superman family. Because we have Superman coming. We have the Superman uh, we have Supergirl, and we also have Superwoman. First of all, who is the Superman? So, fun history fact: um, the before we got the Superman that we did, the the Siegel and Shuster had come up with a character called the Superman, um, and it was actually a bald guy with psychic powers that could control the world. Whether it was going to like try to take over the world, he was a villain. So, Lex Luthor. So the current rumor, and kind of going, if you're looking at like the solicits for the, the last couple of Justice League issues, uh, and I think as a result of Dark Side War, Lex Luthor is going to return to Earth with superhuman powers. Whether they be like exactly like Superman or, or not, I don't know. But it sounds like The Superman is going to be the book to follow if you want to read about Lex Luthor. Oh, man, I was kind of hoping it was going to be the uh, pre-52 Superman. It could be. Some people are saying that Super Sons might have something to do with that. Oh, which yeah. It's called Super Sons, which makes me think from Multiversity. Oh, yeah, Super Sons. It's like um, Superboy and Damien or something. I don't know. Um, so that remains to be seen. But they were saying that that could somehow be about the pre-52 um, Superman. That could um, be interesting. So we'll see. Superwoman. Yeah. The rumor was that it was a superpowered Lois Lane. That turns out that that was debunked. Um, so... Who it features, what it's about, hard to say. It could still be a Lois Lane series, which I wouldn't mind if they call it Superwoman, even if it's her just being a reporter. Just, yeah. And then I thought, but then why they, not call it they Lois could Lane? do a, a superpowers Lois Lane series 
because I like the idea of her like she's gonna have superpowers, like she's gonna be more like invulnerable, resistant, or whatever. And I feel like for her, like she wouldn't go off and be a superhero. She'd do superhero things every once in a while, but she'd use them specifically to get the better stories. Like she's gonna put herself in more danger to get the better stories because mm-hmm. she'll be less afraid for her own safety. Yeah. Yeah, rem- remains to be seen. This will be very interesting with the when the solicits come out. I imagine before solicits hit, we'll get a lot more information on what's going on. Uh, how would how do you feel about you know renumbering back at number one? Do you think that it's you know kind of a cheap copying Marvel gimmick? Like, what if they started doing this all the time? Um, I don't listen. If it works for someone, then they do it. I I've been I'm already used to it with Marvel. Some people put a lot of stock into the numbers, and I respect that. But for me, I'm not a collector. I'm just a reader. So at the end of the day, as long as the content within the issue is good, I don't care what number it is. I look back at the comics that I found most memorable, and I'm really not thinking about the fact, like, man, that was a great story. And it was issue number 352. <laughs> right, right. I'm not, like, I'm not getting choked up about that. Yeah. Um like for me, like I can appreciate a book like Action Comics or Detective Comics reaching a thousand issues. That's like that's cool. It's cool to right. say that. But at the end of the day, they're gonna keep on going. Is the story's good? That's all I really care about. You can call it Rebirth. You can call it DCU. You can call it all new, all different Marvel, DC, whatever. As long as the content from book to book is solid, the execution is good, the creative teams are strong. That's all that matters. I would read all of these books in a heartbeat if. It's the kind of story I'm looking for, and the creative energy and execution is strong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It The numbers really, end of the day, don't matter. They kind of provide a nice, clean point for people to come on to, especially as DC now kind of sets off in its, uh, in its growing its movie universe uh, just just a month away, by the way. I just want to remind people we're getting close. Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh. yeah, we didn't talk about that stupid computer projection. Um it, it, it'll it'll be really cool to see how this plays out. I think reducing the number of books is actually a pretty smart move. Uh, I mean, you think about it, besides the double shipping, they're really reducing it. You've got so basically June and July, and then the list jumps to fall. Right. Which is so, I mean, fall could be any point after that. I mean, you're thinking like September, October, maybe. Which is again fine. I like the fact that. Like, they are reducing the number of books. And that's one thing that, I mean, I think it's only a matter of time before Marvel kind of contracts back a little bit. Yeah. Because they're flooding the market with books. And a lot of them are really good books, but a lot of them are bound to get canceled anyway just yeah. because it's like I have X number. Like, my budget for comics hasn't increased. If anything, it's probably decreased. Yeah. And there's all these wonderful books I would love to read. So, yeah, that, that first month you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books – uh, all of them shipping twice monthly. I think starting out a bunch of stuff shipping twice monthly is pretty smart. Uh, oh, that's interesting. There's the Green Lanterns, and then after that is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, starting off a bunch of these shipping twice monthly uh, because then, then you know, if, oh, hey, the, the sales are good, but they're not great. Okay, well, let's drop it down to once a month. See if people are more willing to buy it if it's just a once-a-month book. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, you could ha- you could have books that would survive otherwise survive cancellation there, maybe get a, a few extra months if they think like, hey, let's just drop it down and see how the sales go. Like, I don't see Cyborg or Deathstroke staying, you know, twice monthly books, um, or, uh, yeah, Earth Two probably. Or Earth Two is not said to be one. My bad. But like Suicide, uh, Suicide Squad might, depending on how well the movie does. Deathstroke, I don't know. I mean, Deathstroke right, I like is a book like they keep pushing him, and he's a cool character. But I feel like the creative execution just hasn't been there yet. But like Cyborg, With... Deathstroke, I don't know how Nightwing's necessarily going to do uh, as a, as a twice monthly. All of this remains to be seen, though, and we will be here to talk your ears off about it. Faux show. Did you see old Ollie fighting? somebody in the dc legend tomorrow picture yeah it's pretty neat as uh, pretty cool i gotta catch up on that show and I arrow know, I'm and so Flash. behind oh i'm so upset you haven't seen the episode where they go to earth 2 there's like just one thing i want to talk to you about <laughs> i'll try to catch up this weekend maybe watch some tomorrow night it's like a, it's like a little thing in the background too even if i just told you about it right now you wouldn't even care <laughs> <laughs> how do you know like, how little of a thing? Like, how much does it impact the plot? Oh, it doesn't impact the plot at all. Fucking tell me. Okay, so when Barry is like... Ah, uh, don't tell me. Now you can tell me. When Barry's in his Earth 2 home... Oh, uh, wait. Okay, go ahead. And he goes to his phone, and, like, the phone has a really bizarre setup. But he goes and he picks it up, and there's, like, names on the phone for, like, buttons he can press. And some of the names are, like, Bruce and Clark and Diana, and, and, and it's awesome. Oh, I already knew that. What? Yeah, God, I, I hate you. I, I like read an article about it or something. Oh, I want to punch you <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. Insert Man. gif of Ollie flipping table here. <laughs> That's a good one. Was, yeah, I love that. I love that. Need to use it more often. <sighs> well, let's just get on to recommendations so I can stop talking to you. Ah, <laughs> uh, cool. Do you have any recommendation? Uh, something we talked about before on the show. Not in this episode, but it's it's something okay. It's something that I have recommended before, which you've done that. But it's also like there's something I didn't realize about it that's super cool. So I'm being really weird and vague. I don't know why. My recommendation this week is AtomicRobo.com. Uh, I did not realize I kind of fell out uh, with these guys keeping up with them. But if you go to Atomic-Robo.com, you can read every single issue of Atomic Robo from the beginning. Uh, these guys moved all of their stuff online. Uh, it's all free. You can still buy the trades, uh, which, you know, support those guys. You can support them over on Patreon as well. Uh, it's it's super cool. I've started rereading from the very beginning today and, uh, and experiencing some great moments that I completely forgot about. I don't know why Siri just turned on. Um, I'm going to... It went started transcribing everything that I was just saying. That was really bizarre. Uh, but I recommended like, hey, people go read this book. Now what I'm recommending is, hey, don't you know, don't feel like, oh, I can't read this because I don't have the money to go spend on the trades. Hey, go read it online for free. Atomic-robo.com. Uh, it is about a robot built by Nikola Tesla who uh, does action science throughout the ages. And one thing, uh, I was listening to an interview with Brian Clevenger today talking about how he spends all this time researching, like, science and history. So even though he's going to, it's all fiction and he's going to go wacky ways with it, he does root his stuff in reality as much as he can. 
and it's 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 really really fun and a really great time. Cool. So, AtomicRobo.com. AtomicRobo.com. Um, so in the vein of recommending things that I'm pretty sure I've recommended this book before um, on the show, it's but it's raisin. obviously been like several bajillion issues since then. Um, so I'm actually recommending Black Science by Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera. My bad. Um, and uh, it's uh, one of Rick Remender's image books. It's a uh, it's it's a it's not a happy book. I mean, Rick Remender <laughs> does not write a lot of happy stuff. But um, long story short, uh, for those that don't remember from last time, it's about a team of what they call dementia knots. Um, one in particular, Grant McKay uh, and his team have developed this tool called the Pillar, which basically will shunt you to different realities. At the beginning of the story, someone sabotaged it. Uh, and so, like, inadvertently, they were all sent before they were prepared. And just it's been sort of a roller coaster ride for, like, the last, like, 15, 16 issues. They're just, like, jumping from world to world, trying to catch their breath. People trying to kill them. Some people do getting killed. Other people getting possessed. And Grant McKay kind of having to go on this, like, long, hard journey of realizing, like, I need to keep, like, What's important to me is my family. And I need to keep them together. And of course, right at that moment, shit hits the fan and everyone gets separated. Oh, no. So, I mean, it's just a roller coaster out of the book. I can still remember like how I felt reading the first issue being like, I have no idea what's going on. I feel like it's moving a mile a minute and it's awesome. Um, I do like Matteo Scalera's artwork. Sometimes it can be, um, it's not that it's hard to understand. It's cartoony in a way, but very gritty. Um, uh, and it definitely suits the book. It's definitely like a book that now that we're like, you know, we're, we're going on issue 20 here that like I'm very comfortable with. Um, and it certainly suits the book. It's, it's great style. The characters, like now that I feel like we're, we're kind of hitting this next phase of the series going into this, what they call the God world arc. Um, uh, the pace, it hasn't like slowed down, but we're definitely off the roller coaster. Um, uh, the, the, the roller coaster that lost its brakes, I should say. Um, but it's really interesting characters, really interesting worlds that you visit. It's just a book that's literally about like imagination, um, like oh, what you could do with an unlimited budget. So I mean, if you like <laughs> depressing stories that don't have, you know, but a story that has there's clearly a, a heart, a charm to it. Uh, if you like roller coaster rides, um, if you like uh, wild imaginations, then uh, definitely check Black uh, Science out. You know, it's it's probably like up to four or five volumes that are on the stands now. So it gives you a lot of um, good material to kind of, you, you have a lot of stories that you can, like you definitely read like the first couple of volumes and decide if you truly like it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, cool. so, yeah, go and do that. Black Science. Well, that is awesome. And that is pretty much going to do it for us here on this show. Uh, so please, people out there listening to this show, if you want me to stop doing a Christopher Walken impression, then email us. Uh, no, just email us, please, uh, at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com with your thoughts on anything we've said today, your thoughts on the Deadpool movie or the Huck book or, uh, the, the news about Rebirth. Or which Power Ranger villain you think should get their own spinoff. I'm going with Eyeball Monster, but you tell me what you want. You can also head on over to heckyeahcomics.com to just find out more about the show and about us, like where we live, social security numbers, all that jazz. 
You can also find us on the Twitter, uh, that is at Comics, all one word. You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick, still trying to figure out what the heck the ending of The Wake was all about. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. If you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.